Welcome to Always West Seattle, the podcast where the people, places, happenings, and history of West Seattle intersect. I'm your host, Keith Bacon. In case you hadn't noticed during our record-breaking heat wave, it's summertime. Typically, that would mean it's time for a summer fest on the junction, but we're all so over the usual ways now, aren't we? So it's probably no surprise that summer fests as we know it today couldn't come together in our pandemic times. But if there's one thing we've learned about West Seattle in the past year, particularly in the junction, there's no pivot too great to keep our community together. In this episode, we'll get the complete rundown on what is happening for Summerfest this year from organizer Laura Radford of the West Seattle Junction Association. We'll also talk with the expert level Suds Squad assembling to create a Summerfest beer tasting event. And we hop into the Jeanette Williams Memorial Time Machine with historian Clay Eels to explore the roots that Summerfest is returning to this year. Before we move in for that close-up, I'd like to ask you to do me a great big favor and hit that little subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you're listening on, which is also a great place to share your comments and reviews. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle on all three social platforms is Always Podcast. The second weekend of July is when we'd typically be gathering in the junction to mix it up with neighbors and friends, catch some live music, and enjoy a rare opportunity to eat and drink al fresco. But while Summerfest as we've come to know it is taking another pandemic-induced break this year, there's still plenty happening in connection to this annual event that celebrates community. To hear more about it, I did something I haven't done since this podcast began, a sit-down, in-person interview with the one and only Laura Radford, Executive Director of the West Seattle Junction Association and organizer of Summerfest then, now, and beyond. I'm sure some people are probably thinking now, oh, hey, you know, everything's going back to normal. Can't you just, you know, put it on as usual? But it's not that easy, is it? It's not. To (laughs) put together a festival of this magnitude, we take about six months to produce Summerfest. At the end of the day, it's a quarter million dollar festival mm-hmm. when we're all in. So to pivot now probably wouldn't be the best served plan for yeah. the community. So let's talk about what is in store because there are a lot of really cool things happening. The biggest event is the sidewalk sale on Saturday and Sunday. And that's kind of a throwback to the junction of yesteryear. It is. The sidewalk sales in the 80s, I believe, in 1982, to be exact, per the front cover of the West Seattle Herald at that point, Mm -hmm. they turned into the street fair. Gotcha. So what we did is we didn't want to just let Summerfest pass us by. Yeah. So we took all of our favorite things about the festival and we put it together in this idea that we were going to go back to the roots Mm -hmm. of the festival and we were going to bring back the sidewalk sales. This was when the merchants would get together and just throw some tables out on the sidewalk (laughs) and throw the best of the best sales Mm -hmm. on those tables and just went for it. And so that's what we're going to do this year. We're going to 
bring back that nostalgia mm -hmm. of the sidewalk sales. And in this version of the sidewalk sale, we're also going to see some crafters and vendors and other things that you might typically see at Summerfest. Is that right? That is correct. One of the things that we, before the pandemic were changing, was really moving Summerfest vendors from more of an import to local crafts and mm -hmm. local makers. Mm -hmm. It's really important to support the local economy. Yeah. And so what we're going to do is as we place our merchants on the sidewalk, all of the spaces that are not taken up by the merchants of the junction, mm -hmm. we're going to fill those in with some of the best of the best local vendors and, and merchants. Cool. And there are some other events happening that you can enjoy in person in the junction or at home. Uh, Paint and Sip, July 8th with brush capades, and that's happening around the junction. That is going to be exciting one. So what we're trying to do with Summerfest is take the, the very favorite things mm -hmm. and deconstruct them. And we are saying that we're bringing Summerfest to your doorstep. <laughs> and if you're familiar with the festival, everyone knows that on Art Walk Night, which is the second Thursday of every month, that would be the night that we would close down the street. And so what we decided to do was take that art element and put it into a paint and sip. Mm -hmm. And so there's two opportunities to do this. You can either join us at five mm -hmm. or join us at seven. And we are going to be live streaming the event online. Cool. Or we have some very limited seating. Mm -hmm. The 5 p.m. is going to be at Bin 41. Mm -hmm. And the 7 p.m. is at Fogue Studios. Oh, cool. And we actually just received the artwork from the artist, Brush Capade, mm -hmm. Angel, who's going to be doing the, the class for us. Mm -hmm. And the 5 p.m. is the nature segment, and that's where you're going to be able to paint this amazing breaching orca. Ooh. And who doesn't want to drink a whole bottle of wine? <laughs> while painting an orca? While painting a breaching orca <laughs> not just an orca uh -huh. it's a breaching orca oh i know what that means i worked at sea world one summer you know you know <laughs> what that means and then the 7 p.m is the junction starry night mm -hmm. i think a subject dear to your heart oh yeah is we are going to be painting the all walk oh with yes. the starry night background that is and that's at seven a major inspiration point for me right <laughs> i thought of you once she painted it i was like that is something that you need to do <laughs> moving on yes. uh, there's also a mayoral mayoral town such a hall. hard word mayoral mayoral Ooh, i think that one was good mayoral town hall <laughs> uh july 10th <laughs> at the senior center of west seattle presented by west seattle blog and the west seattle junction association what's going to be happening there well, that is part of our usual programming for the community stage that mm -hmm. we put at Junction Plaza Park. And so we've invited the 14 mm -hmm. people who are running for the mayor's position. And so far we have nine confirmed. Mm -hmm. And I would say the ones who confirmed are all the real heavy hitters. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be putting them in the senior center upstairs and Tracy is going to be asking the community to weigh in on some questions. Oh, okay. And if you're familiar 
with the commenters on the West Seattle blog. Yeah. You know, nobody is shy. They've got something to say. Something to say. I'm talking to you, Jort. <laughs> talking to you, Jort. So that's a hybrid event as well. Mm -hmm. We're going to have some limited seating upstairs, mm -hmm. about 20 people. If you do want to join us, uh, be there at 11.30 and do bring your vaccination card. Okay. Or you can watch it via live stream as well. We're going to live stream it on YouTube mm -hmm. and then also on Instagram. Great. And uh, Summerfest, beer gardens, I mean, they kind of go hand in hand. Yes. So beer tasting is part of this year's Summerfest. Uh, how is that going to work? Well, again, we can't bring people together to slurp down some beer, much as... <laughs> I would love to. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to bring the beer garden to you. Mm -hmm. And we put together a beer tasting kit. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be six different beers. And we're going to have two collab beers from the Beer Junction, one beer from Georgetown Brewing Company, and then three beers from Elliott Bay. And then we're going to have some meat and cheese. Mm hmm from Husky Deli. Cool. And some other little delicious nibbles. Some snacks to go snacks, with your suds. Snacks and beer. <laughs> and then again, it's going to be a little bit of in-person. You can come join us. We're going to be in Burien, mm -hmm. in the um, in the cellar, the beer cellar. Cool. In Burien, the Burien Elliott Bay. Uh -huh. Or you can certainly follow along online. Uh, both the Pain and Sip and the the virtual beer tasting. There's a sizable amount of bottles going on. Great. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna lie. It's good for two people. Okay. Yeah, it's full size beers. Awesome. It's awesome. a full size bottle of rosé. Yeah. I'm not kidding around with <laughs> like some like half split or anything. Mm -hmm. We're going like all the chips right. are in. Excellent. Every anti up. Anti up. <laughs> and that is July 10th at 7 p.m. Is the virtual beer tasting that is correct and though we won't have any live music in the junction this summer there is a chance to rock out with a virtual music trivia contest presented by pegasus book exchange on july 9th how does that work well it's a great online event mm -hmm. and if you've ever attended any of the pegasus book exchange trivia nights it's fun it's interactive it's great because you can put together teams of six people, mm -hmm. 25 bucks. Nice. All the money goes to Pegasus. Great. And you don't have to be in the same household. You can all dial into your team. The host, Rachel Ask Me Questions, is great. She's mm -hmm. got a good musical knowledge. Uh, her questions are fun. They're tough enough, but not too difficult. All right. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Tough enough. That's a, that's a rock song, right? Tough enough. Yeah. <laughs> Who does that one? Is it ZZ Top? Uh, you'd have to sing it to me, Keith. Okay, tough enough. Oh, whoa. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and that's the end of the musical segment. That's the end of it. <laughs> and, uh, of course, yeah. we can't forget the kids because they won't let us. Um, right. You've put together a cool way to bring Summerfest home for the kiddos. Yes. So one of the things that we love going back again to the Summerfest Eve is our dear friend... Gary Go Lightly, mm -hmm. otherwise known as Bubble Man. Yeah, the Bubble Man. Love me some Bubble Man. <laughs> what we're going to do is put together a kit for the kiddos. Mm -hmm. It's going to have a couple crafts that are Summerfest themed. It's going to have bubbles mm -hmm. because why bubbles, not? Yeah. 
and some other really fun things from the junction. Mm -hmm. I cannot confirm nor deny, but there could be either a unicorn or a llama. Only at the junction could you actually find a unicorn. You could actually get a unicorn. <laughs> we can't guarantee which one you'll get. That's the fun right. of the Summerfest bag. Mm -hmm. You never know. And that's just a few bucks, 35 bucks. Cool. Yeah. And and people shouldn't sleep on the opportunity to get in on some of this stuff because space and supplies are limited. So what's the best way for people to jump on this now? Well, I recommend that you just go to the Junction website, mm -hmm. wsjunction.org, mm -hmm. and then click on our little Summerfest tab, and all of the details will be magically revealed. Awesome. Yeah. You've put a lot of work into keeping the spirit of Summerfest alive, so bravo and thank you. And um, even more amazing is all the proceeds go back to our local Junction businesses. That is correct. So all of the funds used to purchase the tote bags and all of the items that we buy mm -hmm. to go into the tote bags, all of those funds go back to the Junction merchants. And I just have to say... Thank you, West Seattle. Uh, as you know, it's been a difficult 15 months for yeah. everybody, mm -hmm. right? But we can say that without the support of the community, we would not have made it without you, West Seattle. And the tote bags and the Small Business Relief Fund and, and just showing up every day and mm -hmm. ordering food. Yeah and getting curbside delivery and continuing to support West Seattle businesses. It's been you, West Seattle, that have brought us through. I would say emotionally more than anything. Mm -hmm. Like every day you, you get up and you're like, I'm gonna do this day. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the day because we have to be here for each other. So do, thanks. It feels like we're a stronger community than, than ever. And we were pretty tight before. Yes, <laughs> we are. We're a different community. I think more appreciative of mm -hmm. each other and understanding of the struggles that each of us have had. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be here because, because we've made it through. We're making it through. We're going to be here for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. So it's been hard, but it's been, Keith, it's been the most inspiring inspiring part of the history of the West Seattle Junction. Hard, but totally worth it. Hard, but totally worth it. <laughs> totally worth it. So since we're in this mode of sort of rethinking traditions like Summerfest, I have an idea that I want to run past you. Okay. A West 5 Mai Tai dunking booth. Oh my gosh. And I volunteer to sit in it. <laughs> I'll save you a seat. That would be incredible. <laughs> You just dunk yourself in yeah, the high tide. Yeah, I'll take the first shift, the last shift, and uh, I think it could be fun. Okay, I think let's do it. Well, we do plan on producing Summerfest in all of its glory next year. Mm -hmm. It's the second weekend of July. Already can't wait. Can't wait. <laughs> As mentioned in my chat with Laura, one of the events happening as part of this year's version of Summerfest is a beer tasting live streaming from the Elliott Bay Brew House in Burien, where we caught up with the brew crew of local experts leading this refreshing take on an old favorite activity, starting with Elliott Bay's head brewer, Tom Karanen. 
So tell me about this room that we're standing in where the beer tasting will happen for the people that are here in person and what we'll be broadcasting from. We are standing on the ground floor of the brew house. We're going to be doing the tasting right here. And uh, you're surrounded by a bunch of steel conical fermenters and bright tanks with a 10-barrel brew house behind us. So how much beer would you make in this space on a typical day? We'll do about 20 barrels or 620 gallons. Wow. What Elliott Bay beers will you be pouring during the tasting? Oh, one of my favorites, North Atlantic Haze, brewed with a quike yeast and our No Doubt Stout, and then a bottle-conditioned apricot sour. Are those sort of limited editions, or are they things that you can get anytime? Yeah, so No Doubt Stout is one of our flagships that's been in-house for 20-some years. A North Atlantic Haze, I started developing that about five years ago. And then the apricot sour, that's a bottle conditioned barrel aid. It comes and it goes, and what you get is what you get from that particular vintage. Jason Robinson of Georgetown Brewing Company revealed what he'll be pouring as part of the event and some tips on how to taste. Uh, We've selected the Johnny Utah Pale Ale. It's a nice citrusy, kind of grapefruit pale ale. A little bit on the hoppier side, but at five and a half percent, it's just really easy drinking. What should people look for when they're tasting a beer? I always start with aroma. I always say it's about half of your experience of the beer is a nice aroma of the beer. And then just get a nice couple, like, big sips of the beer. Look for kind of those flavors that hit you up front and whatever lingers. Just find beers that you enjoy drinking. What's your favorite beer to enjoy drinking? Ooh, Johnny Utah. Not just because we're featuring it. And finally, Beer Junction owner Allison Herzog shared the historical significance of the two celebratory brews she's including in the tasting and what the future looks like for the Beer Junction after a challenging time. So it's our 11th anniversary on July 3rd. And so this year for our 11th anniversary, we brewed two different beers. The first one is Otherlands. It's a hoppy saison and it's called 11 after our 11th anniversary. And then the second one was brewed by Wayfinder in Portland. It's called Tricorder and it's a Czech Pilsner. And what are your plans moving forward? It's been a rough go. Closing the bar definitely hurt us. We have a really good team, and so we've just kind of hunkered down and focused on the bottle shop, which in a way was was a good thing to do because we started as a bottle shop, and it was nice to swing back and, and focus on that. But that said, we're really excited to start reopening the bar more and more this summer. And are you going to keep doing your outdoor seating? We are. I'm hoping to make a little bit stronger structure, but we'll continue doing the outdoor seating for the foreseeable future. The Summerfest virtual beer tasting event happens Saturday, July 10th at 7 p.m. To sign up and get your kit of brews to enjoy at home, visit wsjunction.org. With Summerfest 2021 returning to its roots in the past as a sidewalk sale, it's a perfect opportunity to fire up the Jeanette Williams Memorial Time Machine. And this time, we've got a co-pilot, local historian and Seattle Times contributor, Clay Eels. So the Junction Sidewalk Sale was an event that started in the 1970s and morphed several times into what we now know as Summerfest. What were some of the businesses in the Junction around that time? It was pretty much you could get anything you wanted in the junction. There was a a shoe store that had been there for decades. Remember shoe stores? And (laughs) there was a miniature car racetrack. There's a business that didn't close until quite recently, and that was Junction Feed and Seed. 
That's where the yoga place is now. And probably the biggest business that people would remember from the really old days because of its location right in the center of the junction was West Seattle Hospital. There are still people around today who were born on the second floor of West Seattle Hospital, which was, it was the southeast corner of the junction. It's where the Starbucks and the seven floor Junction 47 building are today. And that was a hospital for a pretty long time. It was, and then it became People's National Bank, and then it became other businesses, a vitamin supplements place, and then it was torn down. And what we got was a harbinger of the future, the high-rise future. (laughs) (laughs) So with banks, restaurants, clothing stores and stuff, what things back then weren't too terribly different now versus then? In one sense, yes. The junction will always be the heart of the West Seattle business community. There are other junctions, the Admiral Junction or the Morgan Junction, and certainly other business districts in Fauntleroy and Delridge and elsewhere. And there and districts that we no longer know, such as Youngstown, which was taken away from existence by the Fauntleroy Expressway that was built, the upper level expressway that was built over Spokane Street in the 1960s. But in in another sense, the junction was different from today in that it was a self-contained business district and it had pretty much everything you would need as opposed to a more of a collection of specialty shops, which is what you have today. Mm-hmm. And plus, businesses didn't used to spill out to the surrounding streets. For instance, people may, may not realize that a block to the east where the Jefferson Square complex is, well, that was named for Jefferson Elementary School, which took up that whole block right there. And, and it was closed down and then raised because the school population in the junction had plummeted and Mm. and commercial interests were standing in the wings. And uh, speaking of the junction being uh, a place where you could get everything in one stop, there's one long gone business that some people still also reminisce about and others are often surprised to learn ever existed in the junction, a department store. Yeah, J.C. Penney had outlets in in neighborhood business districts quite frequently. And certainly they were there in the junction from a very early time. 1927, the Russell Building was built and opened and the first tenant was J.C. Penney and Ernst Hardware, another longtime local name. And they shared that site for many decades. And then Ernst left and Penney's took over the whole site. And you may be wondering where that is. That's in the the block between Oregon and Alaska on the east side of the street. It's the building where today you see the Antique Mall and Pizzeria Credo Mm -hmm. and Windermere Real Estate. And Penny's, as you may know, you know, it's a department store. You talk about things that people don't realize. The concept of a department store is rapidly evaporating as, (laughs) as, as online buying takes over the universe and the idea of a department store was a huge thing in, in yeah. retail circles. They called it a major. There, were, you had to have a major to anchor a shopping area, and Penny's certainly was the major of the junction. It was where, where else would you get your underwear and your socks and your bed sheets? I mean, mm-hmm. it was the basic thing, and 
it was really the business that the other small businesses circling around it depended upon because mm-hmm. it was the major that drove the traffic to the junction. Right. And then the offshoot businesses would get the benefit of that. J.C. Penney closed in 1987 after nearly 60 years of serving as the anchor tenant of the junction. Why did it close? And what was the reaction to that closing in the community? The reaction was shock. Why would Penny's close when it was doing so well? In fact, the manager of the Penny's outlet in the junction was just the year prior named one of the 10 best managers of Penny's in the country. Mm-hmm. It was just the fact that it was, you can chalk it up to a corporate America going bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. The store was not one of the bigger ones. It did uh, turn a good profit, but it wasn't turning the profits that you would see in an outlying mall situation. And Mm -hmm. the other tenants in the junction were not happy that Penny's closed, but they said that they were going to devote their energies to places like South Center. I was editor of the Herald at the time, and it was front page news. We took over the whole front page when when it was announced in Mm -hmm. in mid-1986. And then I just figured it was a big enough impact to West Seattle that in January of 87, when it was just a few days before the final day of pennies in the junction, I wrote an editorial. Uh But the editorial was not your typical editorial. It was in the form of an obituary. (laughs) (laughs) And I just used the format that you would use for a person, only I made it for the junction branch of pennies. (laughs) And the cause of death was corporate emphasis on larger outlets. (laughs) Outlets <laughs> and memorials can be made to the Junction Merchants Association, which is the predecessor to the West Seattle Junction Association today. Right. And I said that burial will take place in the bound volumes of the West Seattle Herald and in the underwear and sock drawers and linen closets of <laughs> thousands of West Seattle residents. And the last line was that survivors include the soon to be completed Jefferson Square complex mm. and South Center. It was kind of a a pointed poke at the whole situation because West Seattle was not happy that this store was leaving. What was the reaction to that? We had a few letters to the editor. This was before the internet and email and all of that. So Mm -hmm. it's hard to really take the full temperature, but you could tell there was no bigger earthquake that could have happened to the junction at the time than, Mm -hmm. than pennies leaving. And people were rolling their eyes and didn't quite understand why. Probably a lot of people were really worried that that might have been the pending demise of the junction we've clearly been talking about for a long time. But so far, it's still hanging on. And you personally have played a big part in helping to preserve two of the cornerstones of the junction, the Campbell Building, where Cupcake Royale sits, and the Ham Building, which is home to Easy Street Records, among others. And that was all through your past work with the Southwest Seattle Historical Society to establish these two buildings as city landmarks. Why is this type of preservation work important to you personally? And what is the value in these efforts to our community? I hope that anybody listening to this who lives in West Seattle can identify with me in that anybody who's lived here, whether you've been here for 40 days or 40 years, you have a yearning to be connected to your community, to be embedded, to somehow learn something of the past of your community because it helps connect you to where you live. And West Seattle is so fortunate to have 
so many things that make it a unique connection to people's hearts and souls. The Junction is certainly one of them. The Junction got its start as a name in 1907 when the two streetcar lines that served West Seattle converged at California and Alaska, creating a junction. How much more charming do you want to get than that? (laughs) And its landmarking is a huge tool that any citizen can use. We are so fortunate in Seattle to have a strong landmarking law that allows anyone, you, me, whoever, it doesn't have to be an organization, to nominate a building for landmark status. And it can be landmarked and thus preserved even over the objections of a property owner. And that's a strong law for you. And what we did in the 2015, 2016, 2017, we thought it was uh, past time to do a new survey of all of the junction buildings and figure out how they rated in terms of whether they were landmark eligible. And the two that were at the top of the list were the ones you named, the the crown jewels of the junction, the ham building and the Campbell building. And if you can't save those, you're out of luck in in terms of having something that will stand uh, the test of time. Mm -hmm. And I think that all this landmark stuff boils down to a very simple concept, and that's hope. We all want hope in our lives, and we hope that not just us in our generation, but the future generations, the grandchildren, the children and grandchildren, and others who we'll never know. We just we hope that all of us will be able to experience and enjoy the, these irreplaceable touchstones that help us figure out what it is to be a community. We're not going to live forever. Nobody will. Yeah. <laughs> and, but landmarking can create particularly in the case of the junction, an attractive center, a vibrant center for connection and collaboration and for commerce, and just to appreciate the visionaries who came before us and to just create this inexpressible sense of home that we all yearn for. It just affirms our humanity today and will do so long after we're gone. It's all about identity and legacy and hope. Yeah. And we really are lucky to have this unique center of our universe. It is more than a business district. It's a transit hub. It's a gathering space. It's so many things. It represents our history and it represents our future as well, where we're headed and what's next for us. So I think it really is worth preserving to a certain extent. You can't stop progress, but you can still also appreciate and value history. You you just said it. We can't save everything and and we really don't want to save everything. Right. But you got to save the good stuff. So Mm -hmm. that's the trick. That's the juice here is what is the good stuff? And that's where the good work is. And Mm -hmm. it it may sound funny, but somebody 50 years from now is going to kill to know what's going on today. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) People in the future might look back at us and say, you ordered your socks and underwear online. You didn't just print them at home on your printer. (laughs) (laughs) Today is the good old days for somebody down the road whom we don't even know. Right. And we just want to keep some parts of the junction that are very prominent and inspirational alive for those people yeah. down the road. It's just about, I'll say it again, it's about hope. It's about keeping hope alive. Look for Clay Eels for their contributions to exploring and preserving our local history in his now and then writing pieces found in the Pacific Northwest magazine section of the Seattle Times. 
That's it for this episode of Always West Seattle. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, like, and share. Always West Seattle is a Made with Bacon production, all rights reserved. Interviews have been edited for brevity and clarity. I'm Keith Bacon. Thanks for listening.